the best coaches in the game. <laughs> we really ain't playing. We regroup up in the Slack chat where the coaches debrief. We be piecing these puzzles, occupy the chunk of the pie. Ain't no lie when we hit the block. Helmets, casket is top. You be seeing helmet after helmet, helmet after helmet. First place, second place, fifth place, eighth place, twelfth place, fifteen, sixteen, twenty. So many helmets, you got blur vision. We got. All right, everybody, welcome back to another edition of the DFS Army Bowl Call Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm Alan Soslowski, and we have a good one for you today. Special guest from Roster Watch, Byron Lambert is here. He made it. What's up, Byron? Oh, man, just staying busy, uh, getting fired up for the season, and happy to join, Alan. Always uh, looking forward to all the great work you've been putting up over at uh, Roster Watch lately, too, man. We really appreciate uh, having you as part of the team. Uh, I know Roster Watch Nation loves you. So happy to be on, man, and rap with you from the other it's, side, man. Yeah, this it's, is cool. It's, rare. it's like it's rare I get to ride shotgun. You know oh, what I mean? This is cool. Now, this is um, this is good for me. For many, uh, it, you know, there's there's some subscribers to DFS Army who know about Roster Watch through some of the work I've done for you guys, the columns. But most of them know about it because of all the great rookie work you've done over the last decade plus, 12 years. And that really is um, my first question for you. Can you tell everybody about... Um, what you've been doing, how long have you been doing fantasy as a business or as, even as a full-time hobby for? Well, I began playing in, I want to say it was 2005. Alex had been playing for several years already. Uh, he'd been trying to talk me into playing fantasy for quite some time. You know, we were college, but I, I'll give you the genesis of the story. So just for context, um, Alex Dunlap is your business partner and the co-founder of Roster Watch. Yes, yes, yeah. and the host of Roster Watch, the lead host of Roster Watch. Uh, one of the great minds in the fantasy industry, truly, Alan, and I give uh, Alex a lot of credit for, um, you know, the direction that we took as a company. But I guess just the genesis is, uh, so Alex and I are both Texas Longhorns. We went to the University of Texas. Uh, he was in a college rock band. And uh, I was roommates with his, with the lead singer of his band. So uh, we had a party at our house one evening and Alex woke up the next day to find me on a Sunday morning, just glued to the NFL ticket on the TV back in like 2001 as a poor college student. I mean, it was like, I put all my money, you know, extra money towards that. And so that's how... Uh, our friendship originated. We didn't miss a Sunday of football together. I think for, I want to say for 11, 12 years after that, we watched football every Sunday together. So I was kind of a purist. I was a huge Jerry Rice fan. I wanted to be able to watch the end of all of his games at the end of his career. Um, Alex had tried to talk me into his home league for fantasy. And I was just said, man, that's cockamamie. I'm a purist. I don't want fantasy to screw up my love for football. And then Finally, I took the plunge. I think it was 2005, 2006. It was the big LaDainian Tomlinson year. Mm. Uh, I actually was able to draft Tomlinson that year, but uh, I was a noob. I was an amateur. I came out of the block slow that season, got swindled in a trade, uh, in a desperation trade for <laughs> LaDainian yep. Tomlinson back in the day. And, man, he went on, you know, what turned out to be a historic tear. I could have I probably made the playoffs just single-handedly with him as bad as my team was in that um, inaugural a year in my fantasy, uh, I guess, career. So uh, that is the genesis. And uh, then in 2011, Alex and I uh, had a couple of good friends that worked for the ESPN station local in Austin. And they approached 
really they approached Alex about doing a fantasy football show or had kind of discussion with him about it. And, you know, Alex said to me, he said, Hey man, I'm interested, but if I was going to do this show, I want you to do it with me. Wow. And, uh, you know, I said, well, I'm at the point, you know, by that point I was in my, I was about 30 years old. I was in my late twenties at that point. And I just said, look, I'm at the point where anything I do, I, at this point has to have some type of business aspect to it. I can't just be, you know, doing hop, putting a bunch of time into hobbies, uh, at this point in my professional, uh, trajectory, I guess is what we see, call it. For see, that's what I always think. You're that's what's so good about you. I'm gonna let you continue your story is that even with your approach to fantasy, you're always like the adult in the room. You always have a very like sane, logical approach. And then it see it seems like you have a history of that when you're talking about um, your decision to move forward with this as a business or as you know, as an upward trajectory. So it's interesting to to hear you talk about this in a different context. You were always like this. You took a, a sane, logical approach. Yeah, I think it's a little bit just in my makeup. My grandparents were, you know, self-made immigrants. They had like a family business. So I think I saw that from when I was young. And then I was an economics major at UT and, and I got into mortgage banking out of college. And that led to, you know, a, I, I say a brief career in sales, man. I, I, I sold everything under the sun yeah, yeah. <laughs> from mortgages to uh, banking software to C-level uh, bank executives across the country on cold calls to I used to sell in another life. I helped start a uh, janitorial supply company in mm -hmm. Austin, Texas, um, and no, uh, sold nothing loads of toilet paper. So. Oh, you'd be rich. You'd be rich today, right? If you still if you sold oh, toilet man. paper, man, but my, not my buddies have been my buddies have been selling hand sanitizer like it's going out of style. Nothing's more humbling than sales. I mean, I remember even as a kid just knocking on doors. So you remember those dollar candy bars with the McDonald's coupon on them that everybody sold? I just remember, you know, having a strategy knocking on doors. So yeah, if you've done sales, especially in, in the early part of your life, there's nothing more humbling because you're told no a lot. And until you get to that point of success, you have to be prepared to be told no a lot. So my question... Yeah. My, okay, my question for you then is when did you get, because your unique position, Roster Watch's unique position in the marketplace, uh, I mean, there's there's so many things that you do well, but your rookie evaluations, your boots on the ground approach to, um, to uh, rookies, how did the decision to focus on that or that be a pillar of what Roster Watch has become today? Yeah, we've got to give a lot of credit to Alex on that one. You know, this was we got in the business at the right time. You know, the space wasn't overly competitive at that point. You know, the analytics hadn't gone totally bonkers. Um, but Alex, Alex was, you know, kind of in some of those smaller, um, uh, really, uh, what we call maniacal kind of echo chambers at the, at, at that time in the burgeoning, you know, fantasy and just football industry, just generally speaking, you know, Alex was a big football fan too, like I was, and he played and he, he he's always looked at it kind of from that perspective. So he was the one that immediately, I mean, within a, a year of us launching Roster Watch, he wanted to start going to the Senior Bowl. That's really what it started with. And uh, then it turned into the Combine and some of these other scouting activities. And so I think we found out we were good at it having watched football i mean i watched football every week from when i was five years old and i think i turned out i just had a pretty good inclination especially at like the quarterback position that was kind of a tricky position to scout 
to scout these guys. And um, so it just turned out it kind of into our template, our roadmap. And, you know, we locked it down. We tried to always, you know, improve it and, and get better ourselves. And then, you know, we realized it carved a unique spot in the market space for us. There's a lot of reasons that our competitors and other folks in the industry never really took that route. Uh, it doesn't necessarily make a ton of business sense. I mean, it makes the product really good, but it's mm -hmm. not, it's a lot of, you know, a lot of, a lot of work in the off season. It's, you know, it's not as clear a path to the dollars and cents. Big picture, it's made a difference because we've carved a brand uh, based on that. And it's certainly uh, made the product great. And, and look, the other thing when we started in this business, Alan, was that it was real tricky to figure out how you were going to bridge the gap in the off season. I mean, this was something, you know, back right. in the day, football was still, even just 10 years ago, it was still football was hot for four to six months. And then there was this big in the gap in the off season. Maybe if you were a super geeky NFL draft, Nick, you were into that, but that didn't exist. So we were kind of on the frontier. I truthfully, I would say in a very humbly that we were the pioneers of bridging the off season gap from the fan, the perspective of the fantasy industry, the business perspective from this industry, um, and, and kind of in the very early, um, you know, beginnings of the NFL becoming a year round proposition that it's become, I mean, we follow it around the calendar. We started participating in all these off season activities and we recreated the template. And now, you know, you see it, there's other people. We're not the only ones doing it at this point. Right. But, but you, like you said, though, you, we you were, were the best, you know? Yeah, like you said, you were first to market with it or certainly, you know, one of the pioneers of it. And it, for those of you who are who are not familiar, uh, you know, I'm going to do a little bit of the humble break for you here. Byron, um, during a normal offseason, will hit at least what eight to a dozen or more training camps. He actually goes to the training camps with a press pass, sits there. Um, you know, watches these guys, makes evaluations, and then ha along with a bunch of other stats and datas and tools, which are available on rosterwatch.com, they put everything into one piece of paper, which is their signature tool, which is called the Ultimate Draft Cheat Sheet. And this is what's become, again, one of your most well-known uh, tools, unique propositions that literally doesn't matter if you've been playing fantasy football for a decade, this it's not really a ranking. What it is it's it's a, a leverage against ADP. You could use it to draft. And what's really interesting about it is in addition to experienced fantasy football players being able to use your tool is that people that, that do no studying. My wife last year took the ultimate draft cheat sheet into a draft and finished in the top three and literally used your, your um, leverage against ADP. So I think that's what's really interesting is that you have this year-round intelligence gathering operation that culminates into literally one eight and a half by 11 piece of paper. So how did that decision come to, to, simplify, to simplify all of these things that you do all year to literally, I know you guys jokingly uh, market as the simple sheet of paper, but how did this all come about? I mean, the draft cheat sheet really is everything we know in one sheet of paper, Alan. I mean, that's, that is, I mean, that's the bottom line. It's that simple. Um, that was, I'll take some credit. That was my brainchild. <laughs> so I decided to make a draft cheat sheet and I want to say 2013, I just, you know, I realized people wanted a draft tool, you know, so much, a fantasy is about the draft, right? That's 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 what drives everything for the entire year, the entire season, our fantasy drafts. That's where all the action's at. Um, that's where all the hype is at. That's when people need the most help. 
uh, is drafting their team. You know, people don't do this year round. They got jobs, they got kids and everything. And so I was just, I tried to create a cheat sheet that uh, really I could use in my own draft. Hmm. And it came, it was, there was another version initially, I want to say in 2012 or 2013, it was like step-by-step kind of building your team. It was pretty easy. Uh, It worked pretty well, but it was the second year of designing that cheat sheet, I guess would have made it 13 or 14, where I just sat down and I just got to work. And it's just what came out of my mind, Alan. What is, what is your process? The hardest thing is cross positionally. Yes. Identifying. When did, you know, everybody can give you rankings, but when it, there's a lot of cross positional decisions that you'll encounter during the course of your draft. And that's where you need help. Um, and, and I think the other thing too, Alan, that maybe was, if you look at roster watch overall, we always tried to keep it simple because our idea was we're the geeks. Let us go crunch all the numbers, get all the mind numbing headaches, do all of that work. Let's distill it and just give you guys the actionable, you know, information or recommendations or, or picks really it's about the picks, right? Ultimately it's all about the picks that we're recommending. And so, you know, the cheat sheet, the site, everything was designed in that light. Like how can I make this simple where these guys, I've done all the research, it's all baked in here. And this just informs them what to do intuitively and simply they don't have to do all the legwork because from a business perspective, I mean, that's the main vein of, of the demographic that plays fantasy are people in the office or people with kids and, you know, other professional lives. They don't have time to do all of this legwork. Now I know there's a portion of the demographic that loves to geek out, make all their own decisions, crunch all their numbers. Um, but that's, you know, that's certainly not the mainstream. Like you mentioned, Alan, we got a lot of, a lot of females playing, a lot of women playing fantasy. Now. I mean, Alex's wife is one using the cheat sheet. Your wife is one using the cheat sheet. My mom has one using the cheat sheet. My sister-in-law has one using uh, the cheat sheet. That's it. It's for the casual player, but it, we, it'll, we'll put it up against anybody. Expert quality results, all always guaranteed. It's for the highest level players as well. Yeah, I always think of it more of a roster construction sheet because, you know, rankings are not going to, with with few exceptions, everyone's going to have their outliers. You're going to have your players that you like in a particular season above ADP. But for the most part, consensus rankings ADP is a good way to draft um, based on that's how the market in any particular draft is acting. So the uh, I always thought of the cheat sheet again as a roster construction sheet. It tells you when to pivot off certain positions. So I guess my next question for you, Ann, is how do you, I'm so interested in everyone's process. Like you put together the sheet, you put a lot of effort into it, but do you use projections? Like what is your process um, from the beginning to end, even if you're just giving us the bullet points um, from when you sit down and you want to make a new cheat sheet or a new rankings or new, you know, for a given year? Well, I wish there was a silver bullet, but it is an incredibly um, uh, laborious manual initiative, you know, All right. manual man every year. Right. And so, I mean, there's obviously a lot of secret sauce, but uh, you got to start with the positional rankings themselves. Then you've got to look at, you've got to measure the, you know, positional scarcity. And then you've got to kind of measure all that against ADP. And then you want to 
bake in all of your offseason intelligence, everything from the scouting process, the NFL draft process, the coaching and GM interviews at the combine, all the way to, you know, the, the draft tools that are on the site now, the strength of schedule uh, by position, uh, the scoring distribution from last year for the positions, the player props on the season for the visit, all of that, you know, you're going to use that to kind of fine tune everything. And then I kind of, in the end, I like to zoom out to, you know, where was I before all the clutter entered my head? That's right. kind of a last QC. And then dude, there's just a ton of testing that goes on after that a ton, yeah, it- tons, tons and tons of testing versus ADP. You just literally me us running simulations, by the dozens, by the hundreds, and you know, fine tuning. It is a manually curated sheet. That's that's my brain. That's Alex's brain in that piece of paper, informing you guys every step of your draft. What's your favorite form of fantasy to play? Do you like super flex? Do you like a, a, some sort of a premium on the tight end? Just straight PPR with one QB? What I mean, you've played them all at this point. I mean, w- what is your personal favorite? If you were starting a league with your friends or some industry competitors. It's funny. It reminds me of like back in my poker days, you know, I had some of the, I was a pretty decent poker player. I had friends who were very, very good poker players. Um, I like to play often and frequently, but I did have a group of friends that were wild good players and they wanted to play, dude, they wanted to play Omaha, Omaha high low. Like they wanted to get into some really, really, really woolly games, right? And I would always still, ultimately I liked a tough, difficult action-packed game, but I would always find myself basically playing Hold'em. I think I look back and I think that's kind of how my personality um, uh, holds true here in this situation, Alan. I like playing, these days, man, I like a uh, half-point PPR. I want either three wide receivers and a flex that's tight end eligible or I want two wide receivers and two flex positions that are tight end eligible. I like having an IDP, mm-hmm. one single IDP every week. You got to pick a player there. Um, we do a captain in one of my favorite leagues that I enjoy. It's kind of, it's we kind took of like this, adding an... We took this rule from you, and now it seems like DraftKings and all of them use it, but you were the, I have to admit, you were the original uh, user captain, and explain what the captain rule is, because I, I instituted this in my league three years ago, and people loved it. It was just a lot of work to keep up with it, but explain to people what a captain is, because this is a good rule. Yeah, so the way that we designed it was that every week, each owner in the league selects one non-quarterback starter. I mean, it could be a kicker or defense even. Mm -hmm. Uh, One non-quarterback starter that designated their captain on the week, and that player gets double points on the week. So it's just another wild variable that can be a massive equalizer. It's it's like another excruciating flex decision every week. And and the caveat is, Alan, you cannot use the same player two weeks in a row. That way, you know, somebody has Christian McCaffrey from last year. They can't, you know, you, you want to have still somewhat of a level right. uh, playing field. So uh, I enjoy that. And then last thing here, I, I saw, I did this flex draft I covered for SiriusXM, an expert draft uh, here recently, uh, co-hosted with the diehards, uh, Bob Harris and Mike Dempsey. I did appreciate the fact that that league, man, they went three wide receivers two flex that were tight and eligible. I mean, that really blows out that roster. 
I mean, look, we do all this work. I want to be able to put it to use. I, 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 I like a deep bench, man. I want 17 roster spots. I don't want there to, I want to have to make tough, you know, I like to have to pick up some bottom, bottom feeders, man, during yep. the course of the season. That's what I do all of this work for. So I guess generally speaking, those are the kind of formats that, uh, you know, I, I play most frequently in. So as Byron said, he, in addition to uh, being featured on the Roster Watch podcast, which I recommend you all subscribe to and go over to Roster Watch on Twitter at Roster Watch, give them a follow. So much good information constantly being pumped out. Um, it, so what I wanted to ask you next was uh, with our last, you know, 10 minutes or so here was some, some rookie questions, some 2020 relevant fantasy information. And again, I have a I have a thousand questions for you, Byron. We can keep going as long as you want, but I want to be okay. respectful of your time. Uh, but some of the rookie questions that I've gotten asked that I'm just curious of your evaluation. So Jordan Love in Superflex Dynasty drafts is a player that a lot of people ask me about. And he seems to be, there seems to be a quarterback every year that goes way too late. Like last year it was Daniel Jones. He was going in the second round of Superflex drafts. Is Jordan Love from your observation and, and any study you've done on him, does he have a real chance just even getting given his opportunity that he's going to be fantasy relevant for years to come? Should he be a first round dynasty pick? Yeah. Jordan Love has a real shot at becoming a bona fide player in the league. I mean, obviously not a can't miss prospect. Uh, I saw him at the senior bowl. I told you, Alan, I'm, I'm good at scouting these quarterbacks. Uh, That's why I asked. Got a, got a lot of <laughs> quarterback evaluations right over the years when I've stood in the fire. You know me, man. I don't I don't subscribe to group thing. I, the thing is, I don't even pay that much attention to it. Alex is much, much more drill. I mean, being our lead product guy he, and, and broadcaster, he has to be totally in tune with the industry. Uh, to me, that's a lot of clutter. I, I listen to it at times, but... I, I take a stand, man. I don't care when I'm on the opposite side of just about everybody else. I've done it with Josh Allen. Uh, I've done it with a whole slew of guys coming out of the senior bowl over the years. And uh, I think Jordan Love was one of those dudes. And here's why. People, people have a knee-jerk reaction to, you know, first impressions make a huge impact on folks. So you see Jordan Love in like the first day of practice and, Maybe he's not popping to you the way that uh, he he want you want him to, or you see Josh Allen in the first day of practice, he's a little bit wildly inaccurate, and that becomes kind of like em, emblazoned in people's minds. If you watch the subtleties over the week, it's the guys who really got better over the course of the week is very 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 important. And uh, I'd say Jordan Love absolutely improved every day of the uh, during the week of Senior Bowl practice. He has all the prerequisite. I mean, that's a big, strong, athletic kid that has a big arm. I'm not, not going to say it's a Josh Allen arm, but I think he's got every bit of like a Carson Wentz arm, which is that's. I mean, it's it's, it's that's a big arm, I mean, right? It's a it's a big arm. So uh, I think Jordan Love is a very very potential viable starter in the you know real nfl football future and and definitely a guy in dynasty you should pay attention to i would imagine in a super flex 
dynasty i mean you got to think about uh he's going late pretty early he goes very late in these drafts he goes like at the end of the second round sometimes he'll he'll make it to the the first pick of the third but what i think is also and you tell me you think this is a sound strategy is that when a player is reached for when he's you know when the green bay moved up for him no one thought they should take him that the coaches are even more dug in and he'll get more opportunity same thing happened with daniel jones last year regardless if he was good or not he was going to be the quarterback for two years no matter what versus someone like Dwayne has who was actually fell in the draft and if he's bad early on we may never see him again who knows i don't believe that but that sometimes plays a uh, a part in it for me how i think of these guys couple well, other and this is a targeted targeted pick by lafleur right i mean right. they wanted jordan love to me that's that's informative and the other guy that i'd say he reminds me of is drew Locke. yeah i mean you so like talking about drew you know who i've i've come around on come around on he's not he's not a can't miss prospect still but i mean there's plenty of reason to i mean good prospects don't always turn into good players you know we're scouting the prospects you know what i mean jordan Mm -hmm. love is a good prospect Two more players I'll ask you about, Byron. And I just think that, you know, you're good at identifying what you've called blind spots in ADP. And that's, again, what your your cheat sheet is all about, is finding the blind spots. And, uh, again, I'm not sure on Sammy Watkins because he's continually disappointed everybody at every step of the way for fantasy. But where he's going now, if you, I told you, if I ripped his name off his jersey and said, hey, you could have the starting wide receiver in the Patrick Mahomes offense, and you could have him in the 10th round, is that a complete blind spot, or is just, you know, as you call, the banana in the, in the tailpipe? Is that just being swindled, one of your uh, signature words, just way too many times? Talk about Sammy Watkins in re, from a redraft perspective. Really, really warmed up to Sammy Watkins, a guy that we have – massive exposure to on the cheat sheets at rosterwatch.com really because you don't have anything to lose by having massive exposure uh, to Sammy Watkins. And look, I'm kind of, I'm basically of the mindset of you and most other people that generally speaking, like Sammy Watkins, kind of a disappointment in Kansas city. This isn't a guy we want to go, you know, way out of our way for, uh, anymore in fantasy right but like when you're getting him his your wide receiver five in this abbreviated wacky year where i really do think this is going to be like a andy reed has always said that he wanted to run the texas tech offense the texas tech version of his offense with patrick mahomes mm. this is the year i see it happening i mean in this just a wacky off season to me it's going to be about hitching your wagon to the big time players like that to the veterans so for me, that's Mahomes. I think Mahomes is they're going to blow people. I, I expect Mahomes to put up big numbers this year. Watkins is the clear starter over Hardman uh, and, and, and any of those other cats. So it's a contract year for Sammy Watkins. He took less money to stay in Kansas City. So I say, what do you have to lose? He he may never be a weekly starter, and it may in fact be somewhat. Uh, difficult to predict when he goes off, but I think like to have him on the bench, if you get in a pinch and you can put him in, in a good matchup, uh, we had Therese Paler, uh, chiefs insider, uh, and a lead reporter for, you know, Yahoo football these days. He was on the podcast with Alex the other day. And I mean, he said he's all in on like a late round Sammy Watkins this year for, for those same reasons. So he's a trusted source. And I just think logic dictates it's a low risk, high reward play um you're getting a piece of andy reed and patrick mahomes that way 
Yeah, and as uh, Byron just said, uh, again, I, I've told you earlier, but definitely go subscribe to the Roster Watch podcast. They have had a murderous row of amazing guests. And uh, one of my questions, which I kind of answered it myself, I should just ask it rhetorically at this point, is being that you're not going to be able to do your usual rounds of boots on the ground, what are you doing to making sure that you're staying up to date with intelligence? But the answer is kind of obvious to me. You're having on these elite um, connected reporters, and I've noticed an uptick in 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 those type of guests. So uh, I'm guessing that was strategic for this season. Yeah, it's unfortunate. This was going to be my fifth year on the road at training camps. And um, it's something that our listeners and followers and subscribers and everybody's fallen in love with. Yeah. I mean, it gives us it gives us great. Look, you asked earlier, the scouting element, it gives us a great product. It also gives us great content, right, Alan? So yeah, and I've made so many relationships on the road at these camps over the last five years it's disappointing for me fortunately it sounds like regionally alan you know i can't promise anything regionally we may still have a few opportunities oh, good. to get out to a couple of camps i'm still holding out hope for that you know the pads aren't coming on we try to get to camp after the pads come on you know a lot of times camp starting third week of july i don't usually go till august 1st because i don't want to waste roster watch nation's time with intelligence from uh, from, you know, uh, seven on seven drills, like the first week of camp, I want to get there when the pads come on, especially the running backs, very difficult to scout. If it's not like real live action where they're, you know, re right. really going for it out there. So pads aren't coming on until really this next week. I mean, they're a couple of weeks behind on that. So I'm hoping towards the end of the month might be able to still sneak out regionally to a couple. Otherwise, yeah, to your point, we are just, working our sources to the max. I mean, we've developed hundreds of great relationships and sources over the years from being at all these events, um, you know, in the off season. So we're going to be tapping those on all the, on all the beats. And uh, that's how we're going to have to supplement uh, this year, Alan. All right, Byron. So this is the DFS Army Bold Call podcast. And even though, you know, my uh, my broadcasting partner, he thought of the name. I hate the name. I think it's generic, but it's become that. And people, you know, our small little community, they know us for that. So we're going to make sure you can't leave the Bold Call podcast without making a bold call. And how we define that is an 80th percentile outcome. So, you know, I, I, I know it's generic. I know it's a stupid exercise, but who is, you know, your sleeper? There's no such thing as sleepers anymore. But what's your bold call? Like last year, I made like seven or eight bold calls and I got seven of them wrong. I got one right. It was Lamar Jackson was going to finish as the QB one. I know a thousand other people made that as well, but give me one um, that you're holding back, you know, holding. And I know it could change because in three weeks from now, everything could look different. But what is your bold call? Uh, something that you, uh, a player that you think is just uh, could elevate to the elite fantasy echelon uh, this season? Well, the one I've had in mind all off season for months now, and I'm staying with it, Alan. I don't know how bold this is, but I, I'll predict an 80th percentile outcome if that's what the criteria is. Yes. I absolutely think that Josh Jacobs mm. is going to be this year's Dalvin Cook or Nick Chubb, you know, from, from last season. Two guys I was super bullish on that were going in the second round, had them up on all the cheat sheet products. We got mega exposure to them last season kind of late round one or around that turn and i mean that's just exactly how things are shaping up for josh jacobs the second year running back of the las vegas raiders so that would be can you just quickly just hit imminent uh bold pick i i, I yeah no that's good 
That's good. Can you just add to that as a footnote what um, what Mayock told you in, I think it was in Indy, about uh, phase two or uh, how Jacobs was going to be integrated into the passing game? Because that, uh, you know, that kind of goes along with what you just said. Well, it's fun that you remember that. Sure, yeah. Uh, it was interesting. Every year we've always gotten Mike Mayock at the podium last in Indianapolis. Uh, he's kind of always um, comes and puts the, uh, puts the nightcap on all of the, um, the the major interviews to the media uh, for the week every year. So it was, it's interesting to finally have him come up as a GM, you know, the last, I guess, couple of years now and get to ask him questions from that perspective. So, yeah, I, I just asked him, I said, look, I mean, this year, uh, this time last year, uh, all the talk was about Josh Jacobs being the best pass catcher in the entire, you know, draft class. He had a great rookie season for you guys. But he didn't what really showcase that capability. You yeah, know? like twenty catches or something close to that. That's wasn't much his rookie season. Yeah. What what was your evaluation and kind of you know, what do you think's in store for him on on that front? And I mean Mike Mayock unequivocally said, Oh yes, this is we're entering phase two with Josh okay. Jacobs, uh, which insinuates i mean didn't even insinuate explicitly i mean what she described explicitly meant that you know he said look as a rookie no matter who you are even though jacobs is extremely capable as a, a pass blocking prospect it's just difficult to throw these rookies into uh into that situation early on into too many pass blocking scenarios into too many known passing down scenarios into too many third down scenarios uh, and, and, and therefore the opportunities just aren't there, uh, for the targets. And so Mike Mayock said, he said, look, we know that Josh Jacobs can be a very good pass protector in this league. If we can get him on the field more for that, that's basically by default going to lead to more receptions. And yes, we know he's a very, very, very good pass receiver. Now I, I think the Raiders have made a few Moves subsequent to that, that you can maybe nitpick that narrative. But, um, you know, I believe Mike Mayock because it's, it's a, it's rational. It's a rational take that the running back they targeted for his three down capability in the first round two years ago is poised to make the big second year leap fairly uncontested by any other real bona fide players in that backfield. And we, again, we know he is an excellent pass catcher, you know, and Alex, you know, or Alan, you know, I'm looking at this mostly through the half point Freudian slip. Stand, half point PPR and standard lens. So I know the guys on the PPR side of things, you know, are probably downgrading Jacobs a little bit because of the concerns there. But I just think that logic dictates a big step forward for Josh Jacobs in year two, after what was already a good rookie year. And, and, and people are predicting that the Raiders might have the best offensive line in the league this year. Right. Yeah, no that that is unbelievable, and uh, yeah, you you said you were um, you got a chuckle out of that. Remember that you you know that the fans of Roster Watch and subscribers to the podcast like we consume all your content. It's not, you know that's what's so great about, uh, and I, I I advise everybody that listens to this podcast to go over and, and take a listen to the Roster Watch podcast. You'll get addicted. You'll start listening to everything, and there's so much great content out there. So, um, Byron, I have kept you long enough. Um, I could talk to you forever, but uh, I will be merciful and, and let you go here. Uh, just give everyone, uh, you know, they know to follow you at Rosterwatch. They know to check out the site at Rosterwatch.com. Anything else? They can hear you on SiriusXM. Is it going to be most weekends now moving forward? 
in-season schedule still a little bit up in the air, uh, waiting for finality on that. The rest of August, we will be on okay. uh, Saturday and Sunday nights, so you'll get us twice a week. I We're going to be making five guest appearances a week uh, on the channel as well. So I will be on with uh, Jeff Ratcliffe tomorrow uh, around noon Eastern. I'll be, or I want to say 1130 Eastern. I'll be on with uh, Bob Harris and Michael Fabiano uh, for their show Fantasy Dirt tomorrow. And then um, I think Alex will actually be on uh, Bob Harris's show uh, this evening and on Friday as well. So yeah, we'll- I heard Fabiano. I heard Fabiano on on the podcast on the Rosterwatch podcast. He likes you guys. I could tell. He uh, he gets a good kick out of you guys. He re- it's uh, it was fun to listen to him because he's like a fun jovial personality, and it's just it's fun to see somebody that is um, you know in, in mainstream football media uh, really get the same sort of enjoyment out of you as your grassroots fans do. All right, Byron. Uh, thanks again for coming on. He's Byron Lambert from Rosterwatch. Uh, you know where to find them, and all of we put all of your information in the YouTube links in the comments below. And, and remember to like and subscribe to this podcast. Until next time, everybody, this is the Bowl Call Podcast. We'll see you. Bye bye.